The following Dharma talk was recorded live as given on September 5th, 2010. This is Rusho Jeffus. We're looking for our online listeners to help us out. If you stream or download an MP3 or podcast, please consider making a donation to support this effort to share the Dharma. We are glad to offer these files for free, and we would be grateful if you would go to our webpage and make a secure donation to the temple via PayPal. So good morning. Uh, today's Dharma talk is titled, What Do We See? Quoting from the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha says, The people think the world is in a great fire. The end of the kalpa of destruction is coming. End quote. This is from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 16. We read this passage every day. We perform a daily service that includes the recitation of the Jigage section, or the poem part of chapter 16 which we read today. It is because we are deluded in our view of the world around us that we fail to see what is truly there. How many times have we made a judgment or an assessment of a situation only to later find that we have formed a mistaken, a completely incorrect conclusion? I myself, I can think of times when based upon appearances only, I have thought that a particular food would not taste good, only to find out that, in fact, I liked it. Or, how about the times that we look at a person and draw a conclusion based upon some small or insignificant aspect and fail to see something of greater importance? Perhaps the person is dressed funny, or perhaps they have a speech impediment, or a physical disability, or maybe they just look different from us, or talk with a different accent. There are countless times each day, perhaps, when we make judgments such as these and frequently are completely wrong. Sometimes we know we're wrong, sometimes we do not find out we were wrong. Our sufferings, our daily struggles are also the same. Perhaps we have felt forlorn or despondent over some matter, thinking that there is no solution. In our Buddhist practice, it can be the same. So there's a story of two men, both seriously ill, you may have heard this story, it's not an original story, who occupy the same hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. The bed next to uh, his bed was next to the room's only window. The other man in the room had to spend all his time flat on his back. The men talked for hours, they got to know each other, they spoke of their wives and families, their homes, their jobs, their involvement in military service, when they were on vacation, and so on and so forth. They had lots of time to talk to each other. So every afternoon, when the man in the bed by the window could sit up, he would pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things he could see outside the window. The man in the other bed began to live for those one-hour periods when his world would be broadened and enlivened by all the activity and color of the world outside. The window overlooked a park with a lovely lake. There was ducks and swans played on the water while children sailed their model boats. 
Young lovers walked arm in arm amidst flowers of every color, and the fine view of the city skyline could be seen in the distance. As the man by the window described all of this in exquisite detail, the man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and imagine the picturesque scene. One warm afternoon, the man by the window described a parade going by. Although the man couldn't hear, although the other man could not hear the, the band, he could see it in his mind's eye as the gentleman by the window portrayed it with descriptive words. Days and weeks passed by in this way. Finally, one morning, the day nurse arrived to bring water for their baths, only to find the lifeless body of the man by the window, who had died peacefully in his sleep. She was saddened and called the hospital attendant to take the body away. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse was happy to make the switch, and after making sure he was comfortable, she left him alone. Slowly, painfully, he propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look at the world, real world outside since becoming admitted to the hospital. He strained to slowly turn to look out the window beside the bed. It faced a blank wall. The man asked the nurse what could have compelled his deceased roommate, who had described such wonderful things out the window. The nurse responded that the man was blind and could not even see the wall. She said, perhaps he just wanted to encourage you. The fact that neither man could truly see, either because they had no sight or because they had no window, did not prevent them from enjoying a beautiful reality. And in the mind, that reality was no less real for either of them, just because it was not an actual observed phenomena of the moment. At the beginning, I quoted a passage from the Buddha in chapter 16. Now here is what he immediately followed it with. Quote, in reality, this world of mine is peaceful. It is filled with gods and men. The gardens, forests, and stately buildings are all adorned with various treasures. The jeweled trees have many flowers and fruits. The living beings are enjoying themselves, and the gods are beating heavenly drums. We make beautiful music here in the mornings, don't we? That was that part wasn't in the quote making various kinds of music, and raining mandarava flowers on the great multitude and me, end quote. Again, from Lotus Sutra, chapter 16. So the Buddha tells us that we should be viewing life and our lives in a way that is not dependent upon our ordinary sight or on seeing merely with our two eyes, that we should instead of that we should, instead of looking, we should perceive life as it really is. This is not merely glossing over difficulties or completely ignoring problems. No, it's not that at all. Every day we make choices in how we perceive reality of the world in which we exist. We have many options, each one of which is equally a possibility for us to live in. We only have to decide whether we will use the eye of the Buddha or the eye of a common mortal. Our reality 
our perception and our existence in reality is solely contingent upon our own Buddha life existing within ourselves. Depending upon how strongly we have nurtured its development, on how well we are able to center our lives on enlightenment, will determine how we see our lives and the situation in life, and our situation in life. If we live with great joy, many possibilities are available to us that are not otherwise available if we live a life of suffering rooted in hell, hunger, anger, or animality. If the man with no sight had chosen to live with a reality of no vision, he would not have had the joy of seeing beautiful things in his life, not to mention the wonderful interaction he had with the person he shared his room with. His reaction to his situation allowed him to live a life of joy and cause others to be joyful as well. Again, quoting from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 1. Thereupon the Buddha emitted a ray of light from the white curls between his eyebrows and illumined all the corners of 18,000 worlds in the east down to the Abhichihel of each world and up to the Akansta heaven of each world. The congregation saw from this world the living beings of all six regions of those worlds. They also saw the present Buddha of those worlds. They also heard the Dharma expounded by those Buddhas. They also saw bhikshus, bhikshunis, upasakas, upasikas of those worlds. They also saw the stupas of the seven treasures which had been erected to enshrine the sardidas of the Buddhas after their Karnirvana. End quote. Because of the powers of the Buddha, the people assembled at the beginning of the Lotus Sutra were able to see things beyond their ordinary mortal eyes. Worlds and beings were illuminated. Just as the blind man illuminates the world of his roommate, the Buddha illuminates our world and our vision too. If we only practice the teachings he left for us. There's the big if, right? If only. Quoting again from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 2. Shariputra. Shariputra was the Buddha's most wisest and smartest disciple. Well, maybe not his wisest, but his smartest disciple. Okay, now the quote. Shariputra. What is the one great purpose for which the Buddhas of the world, honored ones, appear in this world? The Buddhas, the world-honored ones, appear in the worlds in order to cause all living beings to open the gate to the insight of the Buddha, to cause them to purify themselves. They appear in the worlds in order to show the insight of the Buddha to all living beings. They appear in the worlds in order to cause all living beings to obtain the insight of the Buddha. They appear in the worlds in order to cause all living beings to enter the way to the insight of the Buddha. Sariputra, this is the one great purpose for which the Buddhas appear in the world. In quote, chapter 2. The insight of the Buddha. The ability to see the true nature of reality is something the Buddha wishes to share equally with all of us. Quoting again from chapter 2, Lotus Sutra, Shariputra, 
The Buddhas appear in the evil worlds in which there are, there are the five defilements. The worlds are defiled by the decay of the Kalpa, by illusions, by deterioration of living beings, by wrong views, by the shortening of lives, Shariputra. When a Kalpa is in decay, the living beings in that Kalpa are so full of illusions, so greedy, and so jealous that they plant many roots of evil. End quote. Again, Lotus Sutra, chapter 2. What the Buddha is saying to Shariputra, his smartest disciple, is that because we view the world incorrectly, we view the world through deluded eyes and the mind, we make wrong causes, even when we think we're doing good, and in fact causing ourselves even more harm, more suffering. Quote again from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 2. They are distracted. They will doubt my teaching and not receive it. I know that they did not plant the roots of good in their previous existence. They are deeply attached to the five desires. They suffer because of stupidity and cravings. Because they have many desires, they will fall into the three evil regions. They say things exist or things do not exist. They are attached to 62 wrong views. Just 62? They are deeply attached to unreal things. They hold firmly and do not give them up. End quote, chapter 2, Lotus Sutra. Further, the Buddha says, all things from the outset, all things are from the outset in the state of tranquil extinction. This is not merely positive thinking or simply being optimistic, no. It goes beyond those because it requires us to shift our view of the phenomena we experience on a daily basis. If we truly wish to be happy, we need to remove the attachments we have to those things that cause us suffering. This may sound like a no-brainer, and yet only through practicing Buddhism, by chanting O Daimoku, can we attain the wisdom to transcend our delusions, our attachments to the things that cause us to suffer. We may not be able to easily see those things. We may oftentimes be so mired in delusion and suffering that our entire judgment is clouded. Yet, by chanting O Daimoku, we can strengthen and nourish the good Buddha wisdom that already resides within us. Remember, the Buddha said in the quote above that he wishes to cause us to purify ourselves, to show the insight of the Buddha to us, to cause us to obtain the insight of the Buddha, and to enable us all to enter the way of the insight, to the insight of the Buddha. So, with that, I will close my Dharma talk for today. Wishing each of you uh, continued courage to persevere in the face of sometimes extremely difficult and seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Please, never give up. Never abandon your faith. Never quit chanting O Daimoku. This land, this life, is the Buddha land, and you are the Buddha. So, please manifest it. Thank you very much.